Some people are multipliers and some people are diminishers. How do you become more like a multiplier? And how do you deal with the diminisher, even if it's you? Today, the way to navigate both. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 305. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And welcome back. If you've been listening for a while, if you're listening for the first time, I'm so glad to have you as part of the Coaching for Leaders listener community. And today we're going to be talking about multipliers and diminishers, the distinction between them. But as is important, if not more important, is how do we deal with the diminishers in our lives and that we work with and maybe that we even work for. And today's guest is really going to help us to build uh, a strategy and a skill set around handling this well, a reality that many of us navigate in organizations. And I'm really thrilled to welcome Liz Wiseman to the show. Liz teaches leadership to executives and emerging leaders around the world. She is the president of the Wiseman Group, a leadership research and development firm headquartered in Silicon Valley. Liz has been listed on the Thinkers 50 ranking and named as one of the top 10 leadership thinkers in the world. And she's the recipient of the 2006 ATD Champion of Talent Award. A former executive at Oracle Corporation, she worked over the course of 17 years as the vice president of Oracle University and as the global leader for human resource development. And she's the author of three best-selling books, including the book she's here to speak with us about today, which is titled Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, just released in its new revised and updated edition. Liz, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Well, Dave, thank you for inviting me. Oh, the pleasure is mine. I heard about your work recently, and as I started looking through it, I was just so fascinated with this distinction that you uh, you researched and and enlightened around the difference between multipliers and diminishers in in the workplace. And of course, there's all I know. There's a lot you've learned in the last you know ten fifteen years of developing this, and I can't wait to get into that. But I'm I'm wondering if you could, for those who aren't familiar with your work, if you could start off by telling us a bit about this model and just what is a multiplier and what is a diminisher? <laughs> well, the two different kinds of leaders. And for me, I first noticed this when I was at Oracle, surrounded by so many brilliant people, but noticing that not all really intelligent people seem to inspire intelligence in others. So I, I noticed really smart people who who had a tendency to suck the intelligence and the life out of people around them. They they were smart, but nobody else got to be smart. You know, when they would walk into a room, um, I would notice that people would get quiet and kind of hold back and play it safe and offer only the tamest of ideas. You know, I, I think we've all worked around someone like this. And But then I noticed this, this other kind of leader that I came to call a multiplier who was equally intelligent themselves, but they they led in a way that prompted, um, inspired, if not like dared people to be at their very best. You know, when these leaders came into a room, you know, light bulbs go off over people's head, ideas flow, you know, people 
people step up, they contribute, they're, they're big and they're bold around these kind of leaders. And for me, my research began with this observation and wondering, why is that? Like, mm. why are we so smart and capable around some people, but not around others? And what do these leaders do differently? And I found they do a number of things differently that, that, and it causes them to get very different results from people. Kind of the net of what I found is kind of operating from different mindsets and behaving differently. These diminishing leaders get less than half of people's capability. Meaning, you know, 100% of me walks through the door, badges in to work in the morning, but these diminishing leaders are getting less than half of that capability at work. Whereas these multiplier leaders get virtually all of it and they grow and extend, they stretch people's genius. And and so that's really the core idea. It's a pretty simple idea, perhaps. And I think most people conclude, gee, it's, I want to be a multiplier leader. One of the terms you introduce in the book is, and I, I don't know if this was in the first version or not, but a term called accidental diminisher. And obviously, I think a lot of us like to think of ourselves as multipliers, even if we're not. But there are ways that for all of us, the good intentions go wrong. Um, what, how does the accidental diminisher show up in this model? Well, you know, it's also one of the reasons why I, I invested the time and energy in this second edition, because what I found is that most, and, and certainly what I found in the last seven years since I um, published this original book, is that most of the diminishing that's happening in our workplaces is not coming from the tyrannical, narcissistic, bully-type diminisher, like the one that almost seems to enjoy shutting down other people, you know, the one who absolutely has to be the smartest in the room that most of the diminishing is coming from really well-intended leaders. You know, like people who, who you know, listen to management and leadership podcasts, uh, people who read management books, and, and, and people like me who write management books, who, who really aspire to be good leaders, but yet are having a diminishing impact with the best of intentions. And and Dave, I would even say it's because of those good intentions. Oh, interesting. How so? Well, some of the things, um, you know, you and I were talking about, um, you know, playing to our strengths. Sometimes when we play to our strengths as leaders, it actually causes other people's strengths to go underutilized. Maybe we're um, what I call a rapid responder you know, quick to troubleshoot, quick to jump on something. Maybe we're fast with an answer. Um, I'll share with you some of the ways that I find that really well-intentioned leaders can have a diminishing impact. And maybe I'll start with a couple of my own vulnerabilities. Mm, please, thank you. <laughs> so, the, so this is like the, the Liz personal weakness list, and the, but they all come from, from strengths. Um, uh, one of the ways this shows up is, is the idea guy. Um, you know, idea guys, like we are creative, innovative thinkers. We love idea-rich environments. And so we're really quick to toss out ideas. But but what's it like when your boss is a fountain of ideas? You know, people often spend their time, you know, scurrying around trying to, to execute on these ideas, not knowing which one of them they should take seriously. Um, or they end up getting really idea-lazy because somebody else's idea rich. Um, 
you know, and, and hey, if they've got to come up with an idea of their own, it's easier to walk down the hall to the fountain of ideas. Mm. Or sometimes um, really optimistic leaders, you know, so so focused on the upside, you know, like people who are just brimming with can-do attitude, they end up seeing possibilities, but they don't see struggle. You know, these kind of situations are fraught with um, mistakes and struggle. And and if leaders only see the upside, you know, people aren't usually willing to go into that space where they have to take risks and make mistakes and step up and learn. Yeah, it's so funny as you're saying this. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing echoes of conversations we've had with Michael Bunke Stanier and Kim Scott and Lolly Daskal in the last few months of these these things that we see that on their face a lot of times seem like really great leadership traits, and and they are if used well, but also uh, if overused or if used without understanding really the full gamut of leadership can really end up being liabilities for us. Very much so. And it's about how we use them. And, you know, it's something you said made me think it's these are like some of our strengths and best intentions should be used with caution, maybe similar to the way that, you know, if you're if you're pulling out a power tool and you're going to use a power tool, it's very different than just, you know, using a hammer or a screwdriver where you can kind of be a hack there. But if you're going to use a power tool, then you stop and you think about, okay, how do I make sure (laughs) things don't go wrong here? And I find for myself, my biggest leadership disasters all have come when I've had the best of intentions, when I'm my most passionate, most um, energetic, um, most hopeful and optimistic. And so I've learned for myself a set of triggers about how do I detect when I'm in this space where I'm actually prime to diminish. Well, that is a perfect segue into what I saw in your book. And I, I always read books on Kindle. And as I was going through, I was highlighting this phrase uh, that you mentioned in the book. Because I hear some version of this statement, phrase, complaint, almost weekly now from folks in our community or academy members. And you write, I want to be a multiplier leader, but my boss is a total diminisher, so I can't. (laughs) And (laughs) they may not use those exact words, but I hear that all the time. Like, well, sure, that's fine. If I worked in an organization where I got support from the the board or executive leadership or, you know, insert a title here, uh, but I can't because this person is not supportive. This person is not a good listener. This person's a narcissist. All of those things that we tend to hear. Um, but you say in your work, you can be a multiplier when working for a diminisher. And in fact, you may even be able to influence the diminisher. And so I was really interested in learning from you about some of the ways we can approach this. And if we do find ourselves in the situation where if we're not a multiplier, we're at least aspiring to be one <laughs> and how we can how we can be more effective at dealing with the diminisher. Absolutely. One of the things that inspired me in this original research was not just finding these multipliers out in companies and nonprofits and schools and and in our communities. It was finding people who were multipliers against the odds, people who were working in very diminishing cultures, but yet they chose to lead differently. And these people were very much my heroes as I did this research and wrote this book. But, you know, like for me, a new hero emerged. And it's one of the reasons why I did this second edition is 
like the hero of heroes would be the people who are working for diminishers, like sometimes hardened diminishers. But yet these people in some ways choose not to be diminished. And so I went in to study how is it that we're dealing with diminishers? Does it work? And if not, what does work? Um, and that's really the the gist behind this this idea of, you know, how do we deal with diminishers and what I call, um, you know, <laughs> defenses against the dark arts of diminishing leaders. Yes, and there should be an award somewhere in uh, from the Library of Congress. Any anyone who uses the term "defenses against the dark arts" in a leadership book, <laughs> I love that as I was reading through it because I think that is the question that a lot of uh, a lot of us are wondering, thinking like, "Oh, that's 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 really interesting." These the subset of people and leaders who have this like are like invincibles, like you you say. What is it that they do that's so different that the rest of us aren't doing or haven't thought to do? Well, you know, let me let me start with what do we tend to do? Ah, and, and, okay. I, and I find that and most people really want this. Most of us have worked for a diminisher or are working for a diminisher. And and that diminisher in your life doesn't just have to be your boss. Like it might just be a peer and it even might be an employee. Or a roommate. Most of us have a diminisher that we're we're interested in. Um, let, let me start with with what we are tending to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you two two lists. Um, the short list. Five items are gonna come at you, and these are the five most prevalent responses to diminishers. So we went out and did a study of you know several hundred people how they're dealing with with diminishing. Here's what's most likely to happen. Number one, confront them. Two, avoid them. Uh, like literally avoid the person. Mm. Uh, you know, <laughs> probably does involve like scurry and hide, you know, in your cubicle when you see <laughs> right. them coming down the hall. Number three, quit. Number four, comply and lay low, which I refer to as quit and stay. Number five, ignore the diminishing behavior. Okay. Now, um, only one on that list makes the list of things that actually work. Oh, which one? Would you want to take a guess just for fun? I'll, I'll repeat them. Sure. Confront them, avoid them, quit, comply and lay low and ignore the diminishing behavior. I'm going to go with the last one. Ignore the diminishing behavior. Yeah. Ignore the diminishing behavior is the, the only one that actually really works. Now you think, well, quit, quit works like that is ultimately effective. But you know what I find is that a lot of people quit diminishing bosses and we know people go to work for companies, but quit because of their bosses typically. But a lot of those people then go look for another job when really what they should be doing is looking for another boss. Well, and then they end up in a very, I've seen this again and again, where they end up in a very similar situation. And it's its kind of the wherever you go, there you are sort of mindset. And they end up having to either learn the skill then or then having to try to transition again. And it's almost a, it's kind of like, if, if you don't learn that skill, it's just going to, if you don't learn that, that skill, it's just going to keep showing up as far as how to navigate that, that tough situation. And I, and I often find myself saying to people like, don't be running away from something, be running towards something if you're making a change in your career. But it's, it's so, it's so hard to not run away from something in some cases. 
Well, it is. And Dave, your advice is good because so many people do go and they don't have the skills for dealing with diminishers. This to me is an absolute must have career skill. It's a must have life skill to know how to deal with the bullies, both the tyrannical narcissists and the well-intended soft bullies, the accidental diminishers. What we're doing really doesn't work. And what I've tried to offer instead is a very, very different approach. And and really the gist of this approach comes from this, this mindset that leadership is not really a position, it's an attitude. And and leadership can be offered down to the people who maybe work for you, look up to you as as their leader. That's the multiplier at work. But leadership can be offered to your peers and leadership can be offered to, to your bosses. And actually, that, that leadership is a skill, not a position, which means that we can outlead our bosses. Yeah, I, I just can't tell you how many times I've coached people who've had bad bosses who essentially say, well, I'm relegated to certain kinds of managerial behavior because this is how my boss leads. Mm-hmm. Remember the first time I asked someone, you know, has it ever occurred to you that you could outlead your boss, that you could be a better leader than the person who was your superior on an org chart? Oh, I guess maybe I could. Uh, All brilliant work requires some multiplier leadership, but that doesn't have to come from the boss. You could choose to be the multiplier in the equation. So I'll give you an example. Um, Please. One of the things that a great multiplier boss would do is to see and use native genius in others. You know, people's towering strengths, just things they do brilliantly. And, you know, the way I look at it is it's the kind of thing that we do freely and easily. Like we're built to do it. and, And in some ways we can't help to do it. Now, if I had let's say, Dave, you were you were my boss, like if you were an amazing multiplier, you would probably notice certain things that I do and you would channel those to some of the biggest challenges we have like Liz hey I've noticed that you really are a good synthesizer and we need someone to run this task force and do this and you would put that to work and and shine a spotlight on that or you might just come to me and say hey Liz hey what what are your your strengths that we could really use and, and grow and channel but see I don't need to wait for that invitation, I can I can be be the multiplier and like I can see that genius in myself and I can offer it. And one of the strategies for dealing with diminishers, like you don't have to wait for like the Prince Charming of a boss to come along and and find your strengths. You can share it and give your boss what I call a user's manual to you, meaning Hi, you know, I'm Liz. This is what I'm good at. I'm pretty good at synthesizing. I can take a lot of data in and kind of, I kind of go from can of worms to bullet points pretty easily. And, um, you know, I'd be happy to lead a task force or do, you know, research. And these, this is how you can use me. And I find that when, when contributors do that, it's very rare to run into a boss who says, no, actually, we don't want to use that. Most of them are like, thank you. Like you've made it easier for me to know how to use you and your capability. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this because I've heard this advice before and yet I don't, uh, any a few times, and I, I don't really see people doing it very much. And I'm wondering just how that 
looks logistically it and and if you've seen an example of someone who's done that well is is it typing something up is it having a conversation is it some version of both of those how does that look well you know i think most of us are uncomfortable talking about our own brilliance you know if i had a wish if i had a magic wand I guess uh, playing on the the dark arts of diminishing leadership. Theme. If I had a magic wand, one of it is that we as contributors and managers would get a lot more comfortable talking about our own brilliance. Like, see, I think the best leaders are people who actually are really comfortable with their own intelligence. Almost like they come into work like, hey, I'm a genius. I'm brilliant. I'm amazing. And, and I'm now over it. <laughs> because I love working with those people because they have to get over their own intelligence to be able to see and use the the genius of others. The leaders I worry about are the ones that aren't so sure about their own capability and they come to work feeling like they have to prove it every day, Mm. which means they can never look beyond themselves and see and use the capability of people around them. So yeah, I, I, I wish that people would be really comfortable saying like, hi, I'm Liz and I'm brilliant at this. The reality is most people aren't, which is why I recommend a user's guide because it's not saying, okay, I'm like some super genius. It's just saying, here's what I'm good at and here's how you can use it. Yeah. Part of what I'm hearing you say here is in some ways we're doing this for ourselves as much as we are for the diminishing manager because the more we are able to identify and articulate the value we bring to the organization, the better we're going to do a job at being able to, as you say in the book, multiply up. I've been thinking a lot recently about failures and mistakes and helping our academy community to get better at us all learning from each other. And I noticed that one of the dark arts is to admit your mistakes. And my sense is people tend to not want to do this a lot of times, not only in the workplace, but especially around the diminishing manager for I don't think fear that it'll be used against them. How does admitting your mistakes help and help navigate this? Well, when we admit our mistakes, it does a number of things. One, it signals to the boss that we're that we know what's happening. And it basically signals that we're smart. See, when we deny our mistakes, it leaves others frustrated about the original mistake, but then also Um, questioning our intelligence. Like, does Liz not know she screwed that up? Is she out of touch? Is she not self-aware? Did she not pick up on those signals at all? So now we have like the original mistake and then a whole bunch of collateral damage and questioning. And what happens when leaders now start to question your intelligence? It just takes them down that diminishing path. But when we admit our mistakes, it says, okay, I made a mistake, but I'm smart enough to recognize that I made a mistake. And when we, we signal that we're fixing the mistake either immediately or the next time, it signals you don't now have to hover in closer because I'm going to fix it. And I think there's some really interesting research out there in the customer service literature about what happens when companies or service providers make mistakes and then fix those mistakes, it actually engenders greater loyalty um, and respect and trust and satisfaction than if they had never made the mistake at all. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happens is when we admit our mistakes, it, it creates 
an environment where other people can take risks. It, it creates this multiplier-like environment that tends to bring out everyone's best um, work. So I think it's accepting that, you know what, when you screwed up, you know, most everyone else already knows you screwed up. Your boss, they already know about it. And so when you admit it, you're now on the same page as them. And they're going to give you greater trust rather than less trust. One of the principles you mention in the book, uh, in in the section where we're, you're talking about how to navigate the diminishing manager, uh, at the very end, you have, you have, four, you have a, a very short passage and four words, supply your own light. Hmm. Tell me about that. You know, uh, I wish that everyone had a, a boss that was amazing. I wished we all worked in environments where we got to bring our whole selves to work, our whole intelligence to work. Um, but the reality is a lot of us are going to be dealing with diminishers. And, you know, we might have to be the one that provides good good leadership in there. Um, you know, this idea of supply your own light comes from a, a Stanley Kubrick quote. And it says here, let me find it. Oh, however vast the darkness, we must supply our own light. And, you know, I, I've seen that people, when they are trapped in diminishing situations, not only does it mean they're offering a reduced capability, but I've seen the wide, the collateral damage it does in other parts of, of their, their world and, and their life. And I've realized that sometimes we have to be the one to um, be the better leader in these situations. But when we do, it kind of provides light to all. And it also makes me think of something I think a lot of us have heard before, but I want to maybe share it in this context. And it's it's a quite famous uh, thought from Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and you know, it's, it's his commentary on 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 violence and trying to use violence to, to stop violence. He says... Um, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. And then he says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And I think what I've noticed is when we are trapped working for a diminishing leader, like we cannot respond with diminishing. Like the only way out of that diminishing cycle is to, is to multiply our way out, is to supply the light in the room. It's such a great quote and it's such a, it, it's something, you said this earlier, Liz, that you know, a lot of times we're waiting for that Prince Charming or Princess Charming <laughs> leader to show up in our lives and our careers. And a lot of us will wait an entire career for that, to find that perfect person. And I fear that a lot of us, and I know I have at times in my career, use that as the excuse of, well, I can't do this. I can't be the multiplier. I can't be the person that shows up with the light because of, you know, insert reason here. And yet, we see so much in, in your work and the research of so many others that those who are willing, in spite of that, uh, to make the choice to show up and to be learning and growing, it makes all the difference. 
You know, another thing I've noticed about senior leaders in particular is they often underestimate their own power, which is what causes them to be accidental diminishers. Again, most of the bad leadership that's happening is not coming from these like, ha you know, like um, devious kind of diminishers. It's often leaders who underestimate the power they have, meaning they say, hey, I think that's a good idea. And somebody runs out and does it when they just were applauding an idea they weren't dictating policy or they offer a little bit of criticism and a little bit goes a really, really long way. And I find most of this diminishing happenings because people underestimate the power they have as leaders. We were talking a few minutes ago about mistakes and failures. And of course, leaders are always learning and growing. What's the biggest leadership mistake you've made and how have you grown from it? Well, I have made a lot of big leadership mistakes. Um, I'll tell you the one that probably hurts the most, the one that I'm most embarrassed of. Uh, strange, I'm going to tell you the one I'm most embarrassed of is, so I, I, I've spent the last 10 years studying multiplier leaders. I aspire to be a multiplier leader. Um, I worked on a project where I diminished my mom, my mom. So, <laughs> oh, oh. Wait, how so? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm a, not only am I a diminisher, I'm a diminisher to my mother. Um, and that was, that was a really painful realization of not only am I a huge hypocrite, like I did this to like one of the people that I think is, is amazing. So I wrote this book, Multipliers, and the book, you know, was, was kind of surprisingly popular and um, particularly surprisingly popular with educators and educational leaders. And a publisher asked if I would write a version of the book for um, superintendents and principals and, you know, deans and such. And so I decided to do that. And I invited my mother to co-author that with me because my mother is a former K through 12 principal. And we began working on it. I think my mom's amazing, smart, capable. And so I said, yeah, great. Join me on this. I briefed her that it was going to be hard. And I just started doling out all of these big challenges to her, thinking that she was amazing and capable and that she would love doing this. Well, some of these challenges were just way too big. And at one point, my mom, I just saw my mom starting to like shrink and crumble. And at one point, she, I, you know, I knew she wasn't doing well. And I asked her how she's doing. She's like, well, my hands are shaking. I can't even type because I feel so anxious, so nervous, so convinced I'm going to screw this up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I had diminished my mom not by micromanaging, not by criticizing, not by not giving her space. I had actually carved out something that was too big, too challenging. Like I had, I had broken her by overstretching. I didn't break her as a human being. Uh, and I've learned, this is again part of this, sometimes we end up diminishing with the very best intentions, with this deep belief that she was smart and capable and can do this, I overlooked that some of this was really quite brand new to her. And some of this was going to be really hard. So it was like my optimistic can-do attitude had gone awry. But yet it was so diminishing. And it took a while for for me to help her like recover that confidence. We ended up finishing the book and and we're very proud of that work. But like Who's a diminisher to their own mom mm-hmm. in writing a book about how not to be a diminisher? Like that's yeah. messed up, don't you think? <laughs> well, I was thinking I think it is. Yeah. Well, I was thinking as you were saying that, that the kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier of the accidental diminisher. And 
there's that quote that the greatest enemy of communication is the illusion of it. And mm. I, I almost think like this, the multiplier concept fits in perfectly with that. Like the greatest enemy to being a multiplier is the illusion that you're a multiplier and that you're not willing to look at yourself and that we're not all willing to look at ourselves and to question because the list of accidental uh, diminisher actually is a pretty nice list when you just look at it in isolation of like, oh, these are kinds of things that a lot of leaders aspire to be. But, but when used without that broader perspective, we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble. And to your example, things we would never imagine doing in most situations, but all of a sudden we, we're not thinking and we just are operating in isolation. Absolutely. If you look to those accidental diminisher tendencies, idea guy, always on, rescuer, you know, pace setter, rapid responder, et cetera, if you didn't know the chapter heading, you might think this was like a, a leadership competency model of these are things I'm supposed to do. Um, it really is about the the reflection of asking ourselves, how might I be shutting down ideas and capability? And letting ta- talent languish, yet having the very, very best of intentions. Um, you know, here's here's a confession from a social science researcher: is when I first did this original research and the original book, you know, starting ten years ago, I could clearly see that there were multipliers and diminisher leaders. And and when I ask people to think about it, I'm sure everyone listening this is thinking about someone who is a multiplier to them and someone who is a diminisher to them. And I, I thought that I could identify multipliers and diminishers, almost like I could walk through the halls of a, you know, a workplace and say, oh, that's a multiplier, that's a multiplier, that's a diminisher. And I have come to see it very differently. Instead of asking who is a multiplier and who is a diminisher, I, I've come to see that there's, there's a diminisher in all of us. And I also think there's a multiplier in all of us. And, and the more relevant question is, what are the situations that tend to bring out that diminisher that lurks within? You know, what are the people that tend to bait diminishing behavior? And I've looked for how do I identify those triggers in my environment and how do I see them and counter them and turn what would be diminishing situations into multiplier moments? Because I can't act like a multiplier all the time. I inevitably will have diminishing moments. But I can set my ambition as a leader to try to string together as many multiplier moments as I can. Liz, I probably have mentioned a half a dozen people that I was reading your book and uh, almost universally everyone uh, said, wow, you know, that's a great book. It's such an important model. Uh, obviously, there's so much here that we haven't even hit on in the conversation today. So uh, if you found this conversation helpful, I hope that you'll check out the book and uh, and, and really embrace the model. Because uh, as you said, Liz, there's, it's not that we're one or the other. It's how do we get better at, uh, at being the multiplier and in inspiring it in others. And there's so much we can do on that. So thank you so much for your work, the research you've done, and uh, for also, your graciousness and your willingness to share some of your struggles, too. I think it's just going to be so helpful on uh, so many ideas that people can utilize coming out of this conversation. Well, Dave, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing to help raise the bar for leaders all around the world. Liz Wiseman is the author of Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, just released in its new revised and updated edition. Thanks, Liz. Thank you, Dave. 
Thank you so much, Liz. All of the resources are, of course, linked on the weekly show notes. You can get access to those the easiest way by getting the weekly leadership guide in your inbox every Wednesday. And the best way to get access to that, if you don't already have it, is to activate your free membership on the Coaching for Leaders website. That will give you access to the weekly leadership guides with the show notes and also a number of other resources I track down every week that I think will support you in your leadership development between the shows. It also gives you access to the full library of podcasts over the last six years and searchable by topic, the uh, member casts, the library, so much else that's in there. In addition, access to my free 10-day audio course, 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead, especially if you've started listening to the show recently. It's a great way to get up to speed from many of the best lessons that we've learned together on the show over the last six years. If you'll give me 10 minutes a day, uh, you can get the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. You can join for free and get access to all of that just by going to coachingforleaders.com. Now, when you're online, I hope you'll check out some related episodes to today's conversation, uh, two related episodes. Back on episode 284, Michael Bungay-Stanier was on the show talking about the way to stop rescuing people from their problems. Our conversation with Liz today about diminishers got me thinking about that conversation as well. If you haven't heard it and you find that you're in the Uh, mode of sometimes rescuing people from their problems, or maybe even often doing that. Episode 284 is a must listen. It's one of the top downloaded episodes so far this year, if not the top downloaded episode. Also check out episode number 296. Lolly Daskal was on the show talking about what gets between you and greatness and some of the archetypes that she has pointed out and, and researched in her new book, uh, the uh, got me thinking about today's conversation as well. So episode 296 is a great listen for you. And uh, one that's not really related to today's conversation, but episode 245, how to engage with humor. <laughs> what got me thinking about this is someone left an iTunes uh, review, Gibson actually, and commended me for my quick wit. And then I happened to come across a conversation on LinkedIn uh, this past week where someone had recommended coaching for leaders when someone had asked about shows that were about business and also funny. Well, uh, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> funny wasn't the the thing that I think about often when I think about this show. The show is many things, not often funny, but maybe I'm missing something. But it got me thinking, like, well, how can I get better at meeting everyone's expectations? It turns out we did an episode on it way back, episode 245. David Nihill was on talking about how to use humor in order to engage with people. I've taken a ton of lessons from that conversation and used it not so much even here on the podcast, but in emails and regular conversations with people. I found it a really practical guide to uh, really connect with people effectively using humor. If that's something you'd like to get better at too, as I would, I hope you'll check it out, episode 245. You can get to all of those episodes just by going to coachingforleaders.com and the episode slash the episode number. By the way, a few people have mentioned to me on email recently, they're looking for some of the older episodes. iTunes only allows us to syndicate so many shows, so it's not an it's not something we're doing. It's just the It's just the limitations of the systems with podcasts these days. If you are looking for the earlier episodes, they're all up there. Just utilize coachingforleaders.com slash whatever episode number you're listening or you're looking for. So if you're, for example, listening, looking for episode number one, just coachingforleaders.com slash one. If you're looking for episode 17, coachingforleaders.com slash 17, you can get to every past episode doing that. Of course, even better is to set up your free membership and you can search by topic from all the past episodes. But if you want to start from the beginning, 
Just use that URL scheme and it will get you there. So uh, sorry for that challenge. It's just one of the things that's a limitation of the current technology out there. Uh, by the way, while you're online, I hope you'll think about sending in some questions for some upcoming Q&A shows we're doing. You may remember, if you've been listening for a bit, Joe Knight was on the show about a year ago talking about financial intelligence and the uh, knowledge and the information that leaders need in order to be savvy and talking in terms of finances and, num- and finance and numbers. Uh, I hope you'll check that out on episode 244. But more importantly, Joe's going to be coming on the show uh, in the next month or so, and he's going to be taking our questions on finance and numbers and business acumen. So if you are wanting to get better at that, as am I, I hope you'll send in your question at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Also, Kwame Christian is going to be joining us uh, in the next month or two as well, talking about persuasion, how to deal with difficult people, and how to say no effectively uh, when you're negotiating. So if any of those are top of mind for you, if you got a question around those areas, again, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is a great way to connect. Uh, and then finally, I think almost finally, <laughs> thank you so much to all of you who attended the meetup this past uh, past week or two in the San Francisco Bay Area, we had a great turnout. Thank you especially to Nathan Shubai, past guest, uh, who's uh, from Dale Carnegie and uh, brought, uh, actually went through and taught us an exercise of how to connect with people effectively. Also, Michael Bungay-Stanier, who I just mentioned a few minutes ago, he was in town and came to the meetup, author of The Coaching Habit. We had a great conversation. Thank you to everyone who attended. Uh, so you never know who's going to show up at these meetups. Uh, I hope you'll consider one of the future ones if you're in the Denver area. Area. Join us on Monday, July 24th. If you'd like to get more information, I will be in the Denver area that evening. Would love to meet you in person. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash Denver. We also we already have several people who have RSVP'd. I'd love to meet you as well if you're in the Denver area, if you're going to be there that evening. Again, Monday, July 24th coachingforleaders.com slash Denver. And for those of you who are close to me here in Orange County, California, Thursday, August 17th, go to coachingforleaders.com slash Orange County, Orange County, all one word. You'll see the details there of the event that I'm going to be hosting on Thursday, August 17th, 2017. And I'm looking forward to meeting many of you in the coming weeks and getting to talk with you about how the show's been helpful to you, but also to get a chance to just dialogue about how we can get people connected within those local areas. I'm really excited about getting listeners connected and continuing to help many of you to build your network. So thank you for all of you who have already been a part of that and will be a part of that in the next couple of weeks and months. And next week, I'm really glad to be able to welcome Jonathan Raymond to the show. He is going to be joining me to discuss how to hold people accountable. He is the author of the new book, Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For. Jonathan has a five-step process that's very practical and fairly simple to learn on how to hold people accountable. If that's something that is top of mind for you, be sure to tune in next week. Thank you so much to Gibson for the kind review you left on iTunes. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago, uh, Gibson mentioned a bunch of other things too. Thank you, Gibson. If you'd like to leave a rating or review for the show, coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes is where to go. And if you've got a question about leadership or about financial intelligence or any of the other things we mentioned a few minutes ago, send that in as well. I'd love to consider it for one of those upcoming shows. Coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is where to go. Have a fabulous week and I look forward to speaking with you next Monday. Take care.